podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to the penultimate episode of Rival Recon before we embark upon a break for the World Cup. I'm Harry Sethi. After back-to-back defeats to two of the worst sides in the league, the Reds restored some pride midweek with a win over an impressive Napoli side at Anfield. Nevertheless, having surrendered their undefeated Anfield record last week to relegation-battling Leeds, Klopp's side will be determined to bounce back as they travel to North London this Sunday to take on third-place Tottenham Hotspur. Joining us this week to help us understand just how much progress Spurs have made so far and how much further they still have to go this season under Conte, I'm delighted to welcome back Seb Stafford-Bloor from Tifo Football and The Athletic. Welcome back, Seb. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for inviting me back. Of course. Nice. Always, yeah. It doesn't always happen for all the guests. To be honest. <laughs> so, 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 so throughout the season, they, uh, it depends, especially, I think, um, with, uh, with, yeah, with, with Liverpool, uh, sort of going through their current identity crisis. There's a couple of guests who have, um, I've been keen to sort of hear people's opinions, actually, just, um, certainly from the outside. It's always a revealing, a revealing conversation. Yeah. I've definitely been looking forward to, to catch up with yourself, not only to talk about Tottenham, but obviously, to get your get your view on uh, on Liverpool as well. We will start with Tottenham though, and obviously we caught up ahead of the start of the season yeah. just to talk about sort of the mindset that Spurs fans were in, the, the shape that you thought the club was in as well heading into the season. And uh, I remember finishing it, and we were talking about it's probably one of the more upbeat podcasts that we'd that we'd had together actually in terms of it felt as though a number of sagas, if you will, had been put reasonably enough to bed. Uh, uh, to the point that people could just you know, enjoy themselves and look forward to the new season. Um, we, talk, we spoke about recruitment. And we'll, we'll get onto that. We spoke about um, the manager committing himself to the club. Um, we spoke about sort of the the shape of um, the, the squad on the pitch, off the pitch. Uh, yeah, it looked like it was going to be an intriguing season for Spurs. And of course, as we speak tonight, I think it's uh, a look at the league table would see. Yeah, it's it's gone reasonably well so far. With um, with Spurs um, currently sat in third place, probably not delighted about who's who's top at the moment. But mm-hmm. in terms of sort of the the start of the season, I just wanted to ask what you've um, what you've made of it. Yeah, it, it's um, it's been quite conflicting because at times I think it's a little been a little bit hard in the eyes. Yeah, I don't think that's mm. particularly controversial. Uh, I've heard but, the word uh, sufferable or contable. <laughs> I've seen that sufferable. phrase. Sufferable, yeah. Well, it, it's the funny thing, and I, I think this is something we'll, we'll probably touch on throughout our conversation. But I think um, a lot of this, a lot of the performances this season are being shaped by the schedule. Um, I think it's lost on a lot of people just how unusual this year is, especially the kind of the the August and November period that we're just coming to the end of now. Um, and I think if you listen to kind of the um, to some of the coaches talk about what they're having to navigate around at the moment, then um, you can you can kind of understand why performances like kind of um, you know tactical structures are not quite as expected. Um, and I think Spurs haven't been great to watch, but I think they've managed the workload quite well. Um, we're talking, we're, we're having this conversation the day after they got through the Champions League group. And I, I feel in many ways, I mean, I'm sure most of the listeners won't have seen it, but that performance against Marseille <clears throat> was kind of typical. It was, they did what they needed to do. They got by, they struggled, they suffered. Um, their conditioning told in the end. Uh, was it a joy to watch? No, it was, um, actually it was pretty unpleasant viewing. It was pretty tense and, um, and obviously, um, uh, Stavallodrome is never a particularly great place to go. 
but they dug in and got by. And I, I feel like that's something that I felt for quite a few weeks now, probably for most of the season. Some of the performances have been deeply disappointing. I think the uh, the loss at Old Trafford was chief amongst those. Um, obviously, like the the, the 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 more natural instinct is to point at the North London derby, but I think Arsenal are a better side than Man United, and I kind of expected that loss, and I felt like at the moment <clears throat> Arsenal are suffering some good momentum, whereas Man United are just Man United. They're better, but they're still just Man United. Hmm. Uh, and so that's very disappointing. But I, I think um, <clears throat> the temptation is, is to is to get bogged down in the kind of the week to week stuff and to um, you know to worry too much about individual results. Which you know when you zoom out, you look at the table and you look at right, you're through, you've you've won your Champions League group, um, you're in the you're in the top three. I think it's pretty good going considering the sort of the players that have been lost along the way and the injuries that have been suffered and some of the shortages which that squad still has. Um, they made progress over the summer. I think we we touched on that in the previous episode. But they, I I don't think any Tottenham fan would say that it was job done in terms of every need had been filled or or met. Um, it's been good. It's um, I think it's actually it's the the anniversary of Antonio Conte taking over today. So um, it really is. A, yeah, so it's a year under him, and I think um, all told, it's been a, a great success in many ways. Mm. Yeah, I think we'll do. We'll do like a sort of a a mini recap of that uh, of that previous episode, that previous mm. conversation that we had around sort of the state that the club were in at the end of last season, and sort of the the areas where you thought that that, that the club needed to focus on. And you mentioned there not not everything was addressed, but I, I thought it was a very um, sort of solid window based upon the players that ended up coming in to complement the ones that had already joined in in January as well. I did notice that you you were almost close to saying lads it's United there earlier on, which I sort of enjoyed. <laughs> I think that's a, it's, it's a nice way in which that's well, that's, uh, you know that's what I mean, though? It, it's like it's a kind of in the old days it was fine to lose to Man United because it's just it's just what happened. Mm. I think now I think one of the things that's frustrate frustrated me about this Tottenham is that um they've played some very poor Manchester United teams mm. and somehow found found a way to lose each time and um, this year they have improved and uh, Eric Ten Hag has made a difference to Man United but um, they're still pretty limited and yet they were made mm. to look excellent by uh, a very um, so quite anemic Tottenham performance um, so yeah that was very disappointing Yeah you don't need to uh, to tell me that I think I mean Liverpool <laughs> Liverpool could go on a run now where they I, I don't know maybe they, maybe they uh, wrestle an impossible title challenge now or sort of win the Champions League, whatever it might be, I would still be very annoyed, actually, <laughs> by oh, the fact that we yeah. lost to that, to that United team and made them look as good as um, as we did on the day because that uh, was uh, very frustrating considering what, what we'd done at Old Trafford um, last time we went there as a side with a lot of the same players, obviously. But, yeah, I think you, you touched upon a number of issues I think that we'll, we'll definitely talk, be talking about around sides and sort of navigating this fixture schedule, managers navigating the fact that really uh, they probably have zero time to do any sort of tactical mm-hmm. um, work or work on the shape, which has been an interesting thing for Liverpool because we've, the shape has changed about six or seven times as the, the manager tries to sort of, I suppose, protect what looks like a pretty burned out midfield. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I just imagine there's zero time to do that work other than basically uh, presentations and uh, uh, the theory of the shape, and I think that's told in a number of performances I've watched, where that sort of muscle memory of players knowing exactly where they're, each other will be and laying off passes, and then sort of being stunned when that when the player wasn't there to receive them. I've seen Thiago do that a couple of times in recent games as well. Go, oh, you're not there this time. Uh, I think it sort of highlights the fact that yeah, a lot of this work is really being done. It's a lot of improv, really. So it's um, uncharted territory, but. Before we go into that, um, just wanted to um, cast our minds back to that um, sort of preview episode before the season. Um, just, just what were your thoughts around sort of the areas in which you thought, okay, the the, the Tottenham squad needs to strengthen in these areas, uh, and then just perhaps talk about. I mean, we 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 discussed the the signings on on that pod, but perhaps discuss sort of um, the the signings that have have made the biggest impact so far uh, this season. Well, I mean, I think heading into the year, um, the glaring issue was at fullback or wingback. Um, Tottenham 
um, on left hand side, obviously, um, uh, even Perisic came in and he's been okay. I would say that sort of his delivery from set pieces has been better than a lot of his, um, his work in open play. On the right side, um, I think in this day and age, it's just a theory of mine, but I, I don't think you can achieve very much without a high powered fullback or wingback. Uh, I think you need someone who is very dynamic, who, uh, crosses passes the ball to an extremely high standard. And Spurs have, well, Spurs have the strange situation where first choice is Emerson Royale, who, um, I think some of the Tottenham fans go overboard in criticizing and get a little bit hysterical about and, you know, play into the kind of the banter Twitter account mentality with him. Perfectly serviceable player, but he's just not quite the right player for this system. Um, Matt Doherty is, um, has improved, um, quite considerably under Antonio Conte. Um, but, uh, something's happened whereby, uh, when he came back from injury earlier this season, he, he, he's seemingly fallen a little bit out of favor and Conte doesn't appear to fully trust him. And Jed Spence is, well, I, I think Jed Spence has played about 120 seconds of football since he arrived. And it was made clear at the time that Conte thought of him as a club signing. It wasn't someone that he wanted necessarily, um, which creates a little bit of an awkward atmosphere. But that right side is, is pretty ponderous. Um, I always felt, and I tweeted this a few days ago, actually, like I always felt like when watching Pochettino's teams, which were typically, um, buttressed by Danny Rose on the left, Carl Walker on the right, or, you know, Trippier and Davis, I always felt like when the ball got to one of those players, um, the, the team switched up a gear. You could feel the intensity ratchet up a little bit. Now, fast forward to today, and I think the opposite is true. So you have a lot of good things going through the center of the team. Um, Kane and Son are Kane and Son, and Richarlison's there now, and Kuliseski's been a, a fabulous signing. Um, Bentoncourt, he wasn't a summer signing, but he's one of the best deals anyone struck in the Premier League for a long time. He's just a, a fabulous footballer. Um, makes such a difference the way they play. And Clem Longley has been pretty good as a loan signing. Um, but until that right side is fixed, you're kind of hamstrung. You're, you're sort of limited. It's like your, your, your clutch is broken. You, you can, you can have all the capability and the horsepower and, you know, all the capacity to go faster. But until you actually have the dynamic by which you do so, um, you're going to suffer. And I, I think particularly when they face teams who sit in a low block, Spurs can, as a result of not having penetration and not having a fullback, and you know this because you've watched Robertson and Alexander-Arnold for a really long time, if you don't have fullbacks that are willing to make runs into the attacking third and beyond the final defender, um, you find that a lot of your football gets played in front of a defence and sort of around it in a kind of horseshoe shape. And Spurs do an awful lot of that. And there's a lot of crossing, a lot of, um, you know, working the ball across the box into the teeth of sort of a 10-man defence. And it, to me, it all stems back to, it can all be traced back to that one problem, which is that Walker was never really replaced. Um, Rose was never really replaced after he began to decline. And it's it's still an issue. So that, that really does need to be um, resolved at some point. Um, the rest of the team's in pretty good shape, though. I mentioned Ben Decor. I just, yeah, I, I just, I mm. for £25 million, pounds, I, I find it extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it's just a... I remember last January when people go, oh, yeah, well, you know, Kuliseski and Bentancourt. And I felt like, I'm a, well, I'm a big, um, as I know you are, I'm a big Stadio podcast listener and mm. fan. And um, I love the podcast, but I love the two guys, Ryan and Misa as well. I remember Misa saying on that one, hang on, you just signed Bentancourt. <laughs> <It's brilliant." laughs> I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it's like you, that kind of player does not come on the market very often. And he is, he Great technical footballer. I don't think he's going to play at the weekend, so um, maybe this is irrelevant. He, he mm. had a bit of a hard time in Marseille. He was, looked absolutely shattered by the end of that game. Lots of boost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but his attitude, his work rate, his abilities, all—it's just I, I can't, I can't fault him. I think he's absolutely excellent. Um, so yeah, it, there, there are things to do, but I, I, I think um, <clears throat> you know, and, and Richarlison, funny one because a good signing. But he's typically being shunted out onto the right-hand side, especially with Kulisewski unavailable. Um, Kulisewski won't play the weekend either. Um, Richarlison's been injured for a bit, but even before he got injured, um, he just doesn't look entirely comfortable. I think he's a really good player, but um, hasn't kind of hasn't been used right just as yet. So 
still yet to see the benefits of some of these guys and some of the signings. But um, yeah, it's it's better than it has been for a long time. I mean, that that's that's mm. clear. And having having a um, Having an actual sporting director, okay, Fabio Paratici is known as a managing director of football, but um, that's made a difference. A specialist who, you know, can actually get deals done um, and sees the need in a team and fills it. I think that's been super important. And it's, um, yeah, it's a big part of why they're they're third in the league at the moment. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, when you get that... uh... When you get someone who knows what what they're doing in that uh, in that sort of uh, sort of football operations, yeah, I think it's. I, mean, I, I, I was marvelling last night actually, just uh, just going through some of uh, some of Napoli's business. To be honest, I mean, just <laughs> yeah. in terms of sort of the players that they'd let go, like huge, huge players. You think of Dries Mertens and sort of the impact he had at the club as well, Kulabale, and uh, just the, oh, the, Hamsik the, a few years ago, Hamsik as well. Yeah, yeah there's been a, a number of uh, key players who they've let yeah. go. Sort of talismans of that of of their side. I mean, even perhaps less so, but Ospina, you know, many years at the at the club, um, sort of very serviceable for for them, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, the for, for the money they've spent <laughs> to, to to have pulled in uh, such a number, such a group of really really talented players. I mean, actually, you, you mentioned Bentoncourt. I think, uh, I mean. The, the one I was watching, perhaps not, not, not so much last night in terms of a, a midfielder, but certainly in the first leg, um, away at Napoli, I just thought Anguissa was, was incredible yeah. as well. And I remember yeah, watching yeah, him yeah. for Fulham and being stunned that nobody was really, was really going for it and had like a, a, a slight glance at Liverpool's midfield and going, well, oh, guys, you know, <laughs> you could, yeah. you could do worse. Like, yeah, you know, of, yeah. Of I mean, it, that, that's like Anguissa, that, I mean, it's like, it's worth its own podcast, but Anguissa at Fulham is like a, so one of those conundrums, isn't it? It's like mm. it, it feels like it feels like an example of where like um, a really smart data scout finds yeah. a target and says, "Yeah, you got, you got to sign this guy." And someone on the club goes, "Yeah, yeah, let's sign that guy." But then there's no conversation which happens after that, where it's kind of <laughs> stuff, you might be able to get the most out of that player. Like it's kind of True. it's the eternal clash between the proper football men and the and the data people. Um, whereas what you really need is just someone in the middle to to just listen to what everybody has to say and make make smart decisions as a result of you know gathering that information. But he is. Uh... Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection, from our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy, by searching for Anfield Index, he just looks excellent. Um, and the Georgian wing—I I, I, I can never pronounce his name—but the Georgian winger, no, uh, we'll call him Kvaradona. Yeah, yeah. Kvaradona. <laughs> I, to be honest, Os- Osman is the one that. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I saw the goal he scored against Roma a few weeks ago, mm. and given sort of, I mean, given where Napoli are on the table, and given his talent, sometimes he's one of those guys who you see and you, you think. Um, you know, it's a little bit hit and miss in front of goal, yeah. but you could also imagine once he puts it all together and once he sort of, once he rides a certain level of confidence, you could see him being fairly unstoppable, um, depending on the kind of the supply around him. But he just looks, they, I, I, that would be great to, uh, to see Napoli win this, win the, yeah, it would be, fight. yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting with Austin. I remember in the, uh, again in the first leg, he was, uh, yeah, he, he, he did put a lot of things together. Uh, and was pretty much unplayable before he had to go off injured. And then last night it was interesting because he came into the game in in red hot form. And then mm. actually, I was just reminded of just how, how good a player Kanate is because I oh, think Kanate yeah. spent the majority yeah. of the evening going, no, 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 <laughs> no <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do this, we'll do this together. So that was yeah, that was um, that was a fun reminder. But in, t- in terms of the performances from from Spurs so far this season, I mean. I think I sort of always sort of ask this question in terms of are there games that stand out to you in terms of uh, sort of an idea of what you think Conte would like to achieve with this Tottenham side when everything does click? And I know, I know it's been a disrupted season 
uh, and that's obviously some signings that haven't been sort of fully integrated just yet. And again, perhaps there's <clears> a degree of compromise from Conte as well, as it has had to be from, from all the managers. But as well as there being disappointing games that you mentioned, you mentioned the North London derby and sort of the, the game uh, away to United. Um, but uh, what are the examples of sort of you think the really strong performances which uh, which showcase what Conte would have wanted? <laughs> well, I, I can't in an entirety as a full ninety minutes. I can't really think of many. Hmm. Um, I, I can think of fragments of games. I mean, what especially over the last couple of weeks, one of the we talked right at the beginning about the concessions coaches have made to to the schedule. Yeah. And one of them for Spurs has been the quite deliberate ploy to sit off for 45 minutes, let the opposition have the ball, let them not punch themselves out, but just cede all the territory and all the possession, play purely on the counter-attack, and then crank up through the gears after about 55, 60 minutes. And so what we've seen is kind of, um, well, most recently, a um, a pretty good performance in the last 30 minutes against Bournemouth. I mean, turn a 2-0 deficit into a 3-2 win inside basically half an hour. It's pretty impressive stuff, um, even if Bournemouth aren't, aren't the absolute best. Um, parts of the performance against Leicester at home are pretty good. Um, I would say that there have been moments in the Champions League, I think, where they've been pretty decent. Um, they had a really good second half against Sporting Lisbon, even though, um, you know, uh, the VAR thing at the end, which, I mean... Yeah, anyway. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, they haven't really put it all together, but I, I'm i okay with that because <clears throat> looking back and thinking to, you know, what what Conte's Chelsea were like during that first season before everything went wrong between him and well, whatever went wrong for him, though, I'm, I don't think we'll ever know the truth about that. But um, I always felt like that their best side was when they locked a team inside their own um, defensive third and kind of applied a blowtorch in a way, if that makes sense. It was never pretty. It was never particularly ornate football. It was just pressure, 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 find the mistake wherever it came come from, whether it be a deflection or a set piece. Um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that's really, really impressed me. The set pieces, obviously we... Um, Set piece expert via with his four million defense uh, set piece routines came in over the summer, and you know it's the kind of thing the media write about and they sort of bluster on about and and you know uh, exaggerate. But actually, the set pieces have just got got Spurs out of so many problems, um, you know, because they and this I, this is a roundabout way of answering your question. Like some of my favorite memories from the season are of taking goals from situations which from which they weren't earned. So the last-minute equaliser at Stamford Bridge was absolutely hysterical, obviously, because Spurs were dreadful. Um, somehow managed to score once and then equalised with, you know, just a, a big ball into the box on the 94th minute. It's just fantastic. Um, but then, I suppose, a performance in the time, in, in the sense of, you know, a real tonal, aggressive battering of a team hasn't really been one, Harry, to be honest. Yeah, I'd actually forgotten about the the Chelsea game and the ending to that game. But actually, now thank you for reminding me of that. I, I, did, I did thoroughly enjoy not only the game. I mean, I, I I tend to always enjoy Chelsea Tottenham games to be honest because I think there is a nice uh, everyone hates each other. There's a yeah. nice little bit of spice there. Yeah, yeah. there there really is. Um, and uh, yeah, the all the stuff about the the handshake at the end. I mean, I, I know I I know typically you do sort of uh, you do hear commentators these days going oh. You, you, you hate to see this, but actually, <laughs> it's it's almost like when you're on the tube, actually, uh, I mean, when on the underground, heading in somewhere, and uh, you'll you'll be, you'll be in a packed carriage, and uh, maybe there's some argument going on or something like that. <laughs> Most people have got their headphones on, and then somebody will inevitably try and be the peacekeeper and go, "Come on, guys, guys, it's not it's not worth it." And then you'll you'll just clock there's yeah. about four people with headphones on who've turned their headphones off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are actually thinking I've got five five or ten minutes before I get to work. I'd quite like there to be an injection of some, some kind of right? something. Yeah, yeah, just to feel just to make you feel alive a little bit. But um <laughs> yeah, I mean it's I, I think I, I do know what you're saying there. I think I mean I, I think Liverpool is it's sort of a weird it's it's strange to compare us to 
to most sides of the season because I think I mean there have been some ninety minute performances, but then there's been there's just been some aberrations as well. But uh, very much as you say, I think it's, it's it's been living off moments, and it's similar to your 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 love towards Bentenko. I've also been like very much enjoying the sort of the the, the new sort of Uruguayan uh, chaos agent that's that, yeah. that, 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 that that's made his way to. To Liverpool, I think even last night was a fascinating uh, sort of twenty-minute cameo where he nearly got two goals, nearly had an assist, yellow card for a bit of wrestling in the box. Uh, he's um, yeah, very much been a full package in in that sense. But um, in in terms of sort of Europe, then because just to talk about obviously securing the qualification to the last 16 last night with that win over over Marseille in as you say yeah, it's a, a, a very tough ground to go to uh, I mean sort of interested by teams that, that sometimes have a tough time in the league as Liverpool at the moment but still seem well set up for competitions like you know Champions League I mean how far do you think um, Tottenham can go now that they're out of the group stage and it, and it does become just a you know, sort of a knockout competition with the two legs. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, like, I, I don't think there are actually that many really good teams in Europe this year. Um, I think there are two or three excellent ones. Napoli. Manchester City, <laughs> Napoli. Um, I think Bayern Munich will eventually click at some point. And obviously, they're not quite what they were, but Real Madrid. Um, I think PSG are very beatable. Um, I want nothing to do with, with Real Madrid, by the way. Like, uh, no. uh, if I see that narrative come up again around, oh, we need revenge, which I unfortunately fell into uh, last season. Yes, you I, I, I want, yes, you I did. want nothing to do with them. That, that, those zombies, I don't, don't want anything to do with them. They are, you know, they're, they're kind of they're, they're sort of unkillable, aren't they? They just, it, it's, it's kind of relentless. <laughs> I mean, even, even when you take Casemiro out, I mean, he's still replacing with uh, with Chumeni, who I, I think is going to become just a ridiculous player at some point. Um, and alongside Kamavinga. Um, but elsewhere, you, you look around, they're like, there are teams that I want no part, like, like you, I do not want to see, uh, anything of Benfica just because, like, they're that horrible combination of team that people that, who don't watch very much think are just not going to be very good, but who also are actually very, very good. And so can beat you and humiliate you in the kind of, in the eyes of public perception. That's the nightmare sort of, um, combination of factors. Um, but it, it just depends. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it feels to me at the moment like I, I'm going to sound terribly modern fanish. I guess is that the value of last night wasn't necessarily in qualifying from the Champions League group and then having a chance to go and win the Champions League because it's just not going to happen. It feels like it was just a nice galvanizing moment within the season. And <clears throat> given given some of the struggles that this team has been through, um, you know, we're only three weeks off. Their strength and conditioning coach dying in the middle of a season. Um, yeah. and he was also extremely close to a lot of the players, particularly Son Young Men. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very difficult thing for a group of professionals to, to get over. And, um, it's been a slog and it's been extremely difficult and the games, you know, come one after the other. So the value of these individual moments, you know, little moments where at the end of the day, you're sitting there watching team you just beaten lying face down on their own pitch, their fans filing out silently from their big ground and this tiny pocket of away fans celebrating the corner. That's the kind of thing that, you know, can sustain a football club over a sort of short term period. So what happens in the rest of the Champions League? Nah, not so bothered. Like hopefully you get to kind of give somebody a bloody nose somewhere or, you know, yeah. knock over a PSG. That's my dream. Like Tottenham knocking out Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> I just, just love it. I just, just couldn't happen of course we, we'd be the ones to, to roll over i guess but um yeah i i, I just i <laughs> i just wanted them to have a good time harry <laughs> well it's fine it's fine i mean i think it's uh it's uh, it's it's something that uh i've it's 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 become more important for me i think over well i think i i never had to really worry i think about liverpool um having a good time over the past few years because it, it looked like right looked like yeah. they, they were the one the teams that uh, really did have a good time. I mean, I think I think they're probably getting a, a little bit tired of uh, breaking historical records only to lose to sort of the Death Star again and again. I think that's probably a little bit demoralizing after, yeah, this is, this after a while. This is the thing that people miss, Harry. It's like, hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me 
and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, if you, I, I'm full of admiration for what that Liverpool team have achieved over the past couple of years because if you think about, um, and I'm reading Pep Linder's book at the moment, if you think about how you have to sustain a level of performance, with Liverpool, it's with intensity. Like, there's no secret about that. Now, if you compete as well as you've done with Manchester City over the past few years, you are going to have a period where everyone just collapses. Because it, it's just inevitable. Like Football is cyclical unless unless you have the kind of financial advantages, which mean that you can just drop in, supplement your team, and you never have to suffer the dip at the end of the era. You just, you know, you, you hop onto the next one. Um, and it feels like, it feels like, <clears throat> like, it feels very disingenuous for people to ignore that, that what it's taken and what it must take out of players to compete over three years with a side of those values, with a side of that strength and with a, you know, manager who's intense as, who's as intense as Guardiola is. And, you know, Liverpool, I, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can't remember many times where Liverpool were, were fighting on one single front. Like they were always going deep into the Champions League um, and competing for the league title, or they were going to the um, latter stages of a domestic cup and competing for the league title. It's just it's unsustainable. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all what's happened now. It's the only surprise actually is it didn't happen sooner. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it is sort of a nice segue onto that. I mean. Obviously, sort of largely sort of talking about Spurs when we have you on, but yeah, always appreciate your opinions on on what you think is going on in in the Liverpool bubble. It's it's been an interesting one this season because I think I mean I, to a large part I do agree with you. I think that lots of people have glossed over the the psychological impact um, yeah. it must have to yeah to push yourselves to those levels, achieve those levels, and yet still um, come up short in a couple of the uh, sort of the biggest maybe. The biggest competitions that you're that you're striving to win, and it's not the first time that's happened. For example, so I, I imagine that's a difficult thing to do, especially when you don't have the actual time to reset as you perhaps normally would no. with this with this congested schedule. Then there's the physical side, and I, I remember looking at something this week around, unsurprisingly, I mean, across the league, I think running numbers, sprinting numbers, uh, they're all down. Pressing numbers, they're all yeah. down. Um, and Liverpool's was more or less off a cliff in certain ways, actually, in terms of sort of the. Um, yeah, there are just certain midfielders there who aren't really <laughs> aren't really I, capable of doing that anymore, unfortunately. And, no, I, I saw something in in the Leeds game which which really struck me and stayed with me a little yeah. bit. It was um, it was the moment in the first half where Jack Harrison hit the bar. I think it was Jack Harrison. Um, ball got played over to him and he, he volleyed against the bar, and um, it was so startlingly un Liverpool because I forget who crossed it over from the right hand side. But from the point at which the ball was worked into a crossing position to the moment when it was actually crossed in and Harrison um, you know, put against the bar, there was not a single piece of pressure uh, applied to him. Now, I know that Liverpool have evolved away from being a pure pressure team, and they did so actually quite a long time ago. But yeah, yeah. it was so alien to see almost like kind of training mannequins. Mm. Like, yeah, players just standing up, not really trying to take away a cross, not really trying to take away any... any, any um, any of any of the time from an opposition player, and it was, it was the moment where I and I, I'm I might maybe absolutely wrong about this. I don't watch Liverpool with um in nearly as much detail as you do, or as I'm sure many of your your listeners do. But I just thought, yeah, it's, they're spent, snacking. It just looks very very. T- it's tired football. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. I think there's there's 
as as you would be sort of expecting, and lots of debate about sort of you know what's the cause, what's the solution, etc. I, th- I I I think it's uh, I think I think the 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 cause is multi multifaceted. I think we we've covered a couple of things there about sort of the 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 stamina required mentally and physically to to, to play this way and and to compete this way. The, the compressed football kind of I think, but I think your your points right. I think there's been every there's been multiple games I've watched this season with Liverpool where I think the most startling thing for me has been um, watching midfielders uh, from opposing teams stroll into the box uh, untracked, unpre- unpressured, and maybe they miss a chance or maybe they score. Actually, most people have actually found that gen- generally what happens is they stroll in. Uh, have a lot of time and, and space to sort of take that chance, and then are just met by sort of sort of a ridiculous goalkeeper. I think in in, in, in Alison Becker because I he's, I genuinely think without uh, him <laughs> he gets better every year. I think yeah. he's um I when he first turned up in England, I thought he was just a deference to I'd seen a little bit of Morella, but not much enough to really have a proper opinion. Me neither. Um, and I just thought he was a deference to the kind of the need to play out and, you know, quality of distribution. I think he was that kind of goalkeeper. The regularity with which he makes brilliant saves is, I'm sure from your perspective, terrifying because he needs to, but <laughs> uh, so impressive. He's just, um, yeah, he is the, uh, well, you'd hate to see Liverpool without him at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. I mean, um, I, I don't have the numbers to hand, but I'm sure the people who've 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 worked the numbers would would tell you that we'd be, be we'd be far worse off considering some of the saves that he's made this season. But yeah, the point I was making was, um, I've I've seen those runs, and then I'm I'm watching the game, and then I go, oh wait, where where are the where are the where are the two midfielders, and uh, invariably they're um, a little bit behind, um, sort mm. of jogging their way because. They're just shattered. I think at this point yeah. uh, they're, they're not able to do that. So, my my opinion is that there's, there's there's a lot of different things going on here, and I think Virgil looks a little bit more human as a result yeah. of the lack of protection he's getting now. But um, do you think that's an aura thing? Because I I was to me he was someone who quite deservedly because he was so excellent for a long period of time hmm. he became someone that players almost didn't want to go one on one with, like players almost accepted the inevitability of not being able to beat him either in the air, on the floor, uh, or for pace. Yeah. Um, and it's now like he seems very mortal all of a sudden. And he, he really has done since his injury, I guess. And you can't blame him for that. I mean, it's kind of inevitable. But he he's not he's, – he's, he's, he's still a really good player. He's just not quite where he was. Um, and I don't know. It, just, it, it feels like actually or there's a thing about Liverpool. I remember – after we spoke, not last time, but the time before last, the the one one at Anfield. That's when I started to worry about you, when uh, not about you, Harry, but <laughs> about about Liverpool, because um, I don't know. It was it was it was pretty easy to get a point that night, and you know um, you were chasing the title, and and we were able to that Spurs team was able to unpick that Liverpool backline pretty easily. Uh, for a couple of chances, particularly in that second half. Um, and it just feels like now, as, as Leeds demonstrated, teams think they can score goals at Anfield against Liverpool, against Van Dijk. Canate, I think, is brilliant and he helps enormously when he comes back. But, you know, people have, you know, um, they... I, I Actually, I, I feel terrible saying this because it's not like Trent Alexander-Arnold needs more criticism because um, I think some of it is so overdone. Um, and so obviously ignores the fact that he's not really a fullback. Um, that it annoys me to hear some sort of people, oh, I just can't defend. It's, just, it's not that boring. But it feels like all of these weaknesses have kind of, or perceived weaknesses have, have, um, have reached a point of critical mass. And teams now just think, we're not afraid of this anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. The it's, result is this. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because I think everyone has their own opinion on that. I mean, my, I mean, my opinion on Van Dyke is, uh, I, I I imagine he's I so I I, I don't currently I'm, I'm not of the opinion that 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 who you're currently seeing is is who he now is to be honest I I okay. I, I think uh, he, there was a period last season where he definitely struggled to come back from the injury and then sort of worked it out or felt a bit more comfortable with uh, the injury and then I thought it was was largely excellent last season 
I, 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 my issue last season, which is the same one I had, had coming into this one, I remember speaking to um, Carl Anker about it actually before the start of the season as well. But we, if we had a chat before the pod, I said, Don't, do you feel like you're maybe lacking a little bit here? And, and for me, it was, it was, it was control of games. I thought sort of this side has controlled games uh, because of that intensity. Yes, the intensity, mm-hmm. they, they changed the way in which they applied that atten- intensity. And they're doing it in sort of smarter ways. And you know, Thiago is bought. You know, there's an evolution on, on how they're looking to control games. But still, you know, that, that intensity is a big part of it. And I thought, yeah, there's, there, there's not enough really in that in that midfield to be able to really uh, grab hold of a game and just control it when they need to. Uh, and they're, they're ending up um, being pushed back into these basketball games, which is fine. And, and I think in the past, Liverpool used to excel in those um, environments, but I think the Leeds game is a really good example of it because it's a it's a team that came to Anfield, um, didn't look to sit back and encounter, but looked to play us at a basketball game, mm-hmm. and uh, just outran us, <laughs> outworked us, uh, and that that never used to happen. So I, yeah, I, my, my opinion is that the the, the short term fix is to uh, solidify a little bit in midfield to provide a bit more cover to to those defenders. So. Maybe they are a little bit more mortal, but they're going to be exposed less often. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think um, I, I, I don't know whether Van Dijk is an interesting one. I, I, part of me wonders whether or not he's very acutely aware that he missed the Euros and the World Cup is three weeks away. Um, yeah. Part of me because part of me wonders whether the aura thing is getting to him a little bit as well, Seb. Because I mean, I, I wondered ahead of that City game. Is is this a case of you know, Harlan's coming to town? Will that sort of I don't know light the fire under sort of the alpha male sort of Van Dyke? You know I don't know whatever he believes about himself, he he, he must believe in himself to sort of reach those levels. Will will he suddenly sort of roll it back? And it was interesting to notice how much higher the levels raised from him individually in that game. I I I, I wonder. I, I I guess time will tell. Sort of. Um, and as, as you pointed out, have, having a partner like Canate will always always help um, remind uh, an aging defender well, who they are as well, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I we were we were having an interesting conversation on the TFL pod about this about after that Man City game, and my own yeah. take on it at the time was that um, I think it was either JJ or John said this was Liverpool playing underdog football. Yeah, and Conte they, would have been. I mean, I mean, I mean, not to be disrespectful at all, but I, was, I remember watching that game and going, okay, this is how we're setting up. Okay, so we're playing underdog football, as you mentioned. Well, Conte would be de- delighted with this yeah. this tactical plan. We realise our limitations and realise our strengths and just play to them. 100%. Because, and also, like, within that context, if you've got... if you Imagine you're a Liverpool player and you've, you know, won a couple of Champions Leagues, you've won the Premier League, and... <laughs> All of a sudden, all you hear for the five days before a game like that is Erling Haaland this, Phil Foden that, <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne, aren't they great? No one can stop them ever and ever and ever. And if you're someone like Virgil van Dijk, whether you're in a slump or not, you just think, fuck that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, six mm. months, a year off being um, unquestionably the best centre-half in the world. And you're, you're talking about, you know, my decline. And so I think within that environment, if you've got a couple of days, just as a one-off game, I think regardless of what your form is, regardless of what you've done in that season, if you've got talent in your team, no matter what you've been through, you're incredibly dangerous against a team like Manchester City um, because you can do that in an underdog situation and when you've got Jürgen Klopp as your manager, who I have no doubt was sitting there in the dressing room at Anfield going, yeah, you're all, you're all, you're all finished. You're all finished. It's all about City. It's all about Holland. Virgil probably don't even go out tonight because he's he's going to score a hat trick and there's nothing you can do about it. For someone like Klopp, manna from heaven, right? Oh, exactly. It's yeah. the easiest thing to sell in the world, and it it didn't surprise me. And, and then also you've got kind of you've got um you've got Anfield as well, and no doubt everyone who was there, you know, well every Liverpool fan who was there um, for that game was just thought, hang on, okay, so we're finished now, are we? We're done. <laughs> it's over, and it was just the perfect situation. The negative of that is it's not necessarily indicative of anything. 
like and i i think also i think spurs are at great risk at the weekend too because i think it's the same thing it's like spurs have had a pretty good week spurs are obviously not man city by any stretch of the imagination they're not even like arsenal at the moment but like everyone's going oh yeah we're all just talking about liverpool's weakness and so if you're Klopp and you're at white Hart lane on uh, i think it's on sunday isn't it um you're saying okay so right who what what is what has this team achieved like pointing at spurs you know look at what what have they won like what have they won to kind of deserve you coming here and feeling inferior in any way whatsoever <laughs> i think liverpool come i think they'll be absolutely excellent to white Hart lane um i think it's the same thing, but I, you don't know whether that translates into anything permanent across the rest of the season yeah no I th- yeah i've I certainly hear that. I, I, I think there's definitely sort of stages in players' careers where they can get themselves up for those games, um, but aren't able to do it in a consistent patch. I'm just, I'm just, I, I remain to be convinced that this is exactly who Van Dyke is at the moment. I, I, I think right. the, 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 the placement of the World Cup has been intrigued, to be honest. Um, I, I just, yeah. I'm, I'm not calling him unprofessional in, in, in any way. I just think it, it would be very, he wouldn't be human if he wasn't thinking about it. To be honest, he's about hey, to captain his side in the World Cup. He, he wouldn't be human. He also he wouldn't be the only one. Like I, um, there's a conversation in Spursland about um, Christian Romero. Like, you know, all the Argentine all Argentinian players are aware that this will be Leo Messi's last World Cup, last go at it, and they're they're awfully strong. And Romero has an injury, which is supposedly he's out for ten days, <laughs> but he'll be fine on day eleven. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and that you, mysterious you, back injuries. So. Yeah, yeah, right. Something doesn't show up on scans, and like Romero is a, a great player, no doubt. But I don't think it's fair to judge a lot of these guys. Like, if you said to me, "Oh, you know what? Um, we're playing Leeds next week, so I need you up for that," and then in in a week's time, you're going to the World Cup with the greatest player of all time in an a bit to kind of to pain yourself into, you know, into immortality. Like, mm. oh, I can probably sack off the Leeds game, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think there are all sorts of players who are um, who are victims of the scheduling and yeah. this absolute nonsense of a, a season. And um, I don't I don't have a problem with it really. And I just think it's uh, it's it's sort of if, if you think about what's being demanded, usually at this Liverpool side, and sort of the levels of intensity that are demanded, they also th- those levels come with severe severe risk, um, especially yeah. in sort of this this kind of season. So I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I feel very sorry for the likes of Diego Jota, um, who I think uh, didn't think about that to be honest, and just really pushed himself uh, yeah. as far as he possibly could go in that City game. And probably, uh, yeah, uh, he is he. We will miss the World Cup as a result of it. But um, interesting to hear what you say about sort of the the game this weekend and how maybe Klopp could use a similar narrative to inspire those Liverpool players. But what's interesting to me about it is that I look at how Tottenham play and how Conte likes his teams to play. And what you've mentioned there about sort of, you know, just taking 45 minutes to you know, calibrate mm-hmm. what's going on and then using the conditioning uh, and trying to make that tell later on. That that's quite scary to me in terms of I think I mean that, that's Liverpool this season one of their major weaknesses, um, which used to be, which used to be one of their major strengths is is dealing with sort of the, those negative uh, transition moments. You know, Counter attacking football um, has proved quite difficult because um, I think when you when your midfield struggling and your, your defenders don't look as great one v one as that perhaps they did um, for many for many years. Uh, those sides are really dangerous. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just interested. Obviously, Tottenham being at home. I mean, how, how do you expect Conte to be to, to approach a game like that? Uh, pretty negatively. I mean, like I, I hear what you're saying, but then you got to factor in that, like, a lot of the, the tools which you're afraid of just aren't going to be on the pitch. I mean, Son is Son not going to be there as well? Do, it doesn't the head seem injury. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I seem to be in a minority with this. I I wasn't hugely impressed by the challenge on him last night. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was that much of an accident um he was allowed back on right wasn't he no no he, he wasn't okay so no no, no. Um, he went straight off he was they, they assessed him for a while on the pitch but there was no sense that he was, he was coming back on um but it's um it's unclear at the moment whether it's a concussion or um or a, a facial injury but either way it doesn't doesn't seem very likely so he's not playing um Richarlison is not fit and he won't be there okay. um Kulisevsky is not fit and he won't be there so you're taking away all of the players who pivot around Kane um, Bentancourt as well. You said he's not going to be there. Bentancourt, Bentancourt um, cramped up in about the 85th minute in Marseille. Right. Okay. Uh, looked 
knackered, absolutely exhausted, and rightly so because he was he was absolutely immense alongside Hoiberg, who was um, yeah, but he was pretty heroic in the centre of midfield. Um, he'll be there, um, but they all, uh, if they're in any decent condition, I'll be I'll be surprised. Romero is not going to be there. Um, he won't be seen until after the World Cup, I don't think. So that <laughs> immediately means that um, Longley shifts to central to, to the middle of the back three. Dyer goes to the right side of it, and um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a bit of a ropey one, I think. Um, and then we've talked about the wing backs. It's a it's pretty bare bones for Spurs. I I, I think I think Conte will try and try and keep it very very tight, and I I would I would imagine just try and lock it up and take a draw. Um, and then, you know, see what's available for Leeds the next week because, um, I think it would be really silly to underestimate that Liverpool team. Like, you know, like, especially after what happened to them against Leeds. Um, and I, I just don't, I, I want to make the case for Spurs being able to hurt that Liverpool side. Um, and obviously when Kane's on the pitch, there, there's always something there, but Kane needs pieces around him and he just doesn't have them at the moment. Uh, Lucas Moura is available, but he was absolutely dreadful in Marseille. Um, it, it was, yeah, mm. it was difficult, difficult to watch. Yeah. Brian Shield is, um, is a bit of a, um, Brian Shield's become a, a bit of a core celeb among the, um, Tottenham fans. Everyone wants him to start, but he's more of a, um, he's kind of in that sort of fun impact sub territory. Um, he's kind of a, I'm trying to think of a parallel for, from, from your club, maybe a kind of Minamino character. Um, who I think Brunchill will turn into a really good player one day somewhere, but it's become, he, he sort of, he was, it was one of those situations where Spurs were chasing a game against Sporting Lisbon. Uh, Sporting Lisbon chucked 400 players behind the ball and uh, Gilles was just running at everybody. You know, carefree, doesn't matter if you give the ball away because it's nothing up the other end, you know, consequentless. And that became, he must start now every game. And I, like, I, I, I like getting carried away too, but, um, He's not ready. He's um he's a good young player and he he will continue to grow. But I don't think it's quite up. It, it's quite the time to throw him in against Van Dijk and Canate. <laughs> you know, mm. um, a bit of a tall ass. So um, interesting. It's difficult. I I, I think it's going to be uh what might if, if you want a prediction of this game, I think it will be an advert for why footballers are playing too much football. <laughs> that's, my, that's my grand prediction because if you think like this has been my takeaway from the last few weekends. It's like, God, the football at the moment is dreadful. Not in the sense that my team's winning or losing or your team's doing well or anything like that. It's just the quality of it is rubbish. It's just so, yeah. so many mistakes. There's so many poor decisions. And it's it's nobody's fault. Like, it's not a coach's fault. It's not a player's fault. It's just these guys are knackered. Like, there's just, there's no creativity in it. There's no, um, it's, it's, it's very, very tank empty. Um, and I think that's what we'll see. Um, I yeah. think that's probably why I've actually enjoyed. I mean, I mean, to, to sort of come back to him as we finish up here. I mean, I think that's probably part of the reason why I've enjoyed uh, Nunez so much. To be honest, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, completely yeah. hilarious figure. I think he's a good player. Like, he's, I, he's, he's, I think he's, I think he's incredibly talented. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's very, very raw, and I think at the moment the probably the biggest thing for him is that he's not calm. I think, I think he's, he's very. Uh, yeah. As you can understand, right? A 22-year-old 20, striker signed for big money alongside the same summer as another big striker. You're looking to prove yourself, right? And um, he's perhaps not in that sort of cold killer mindset that he he got to with Benfica, uh, where he was the main man. Um, but it's 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 coming, and I think it's every single game where he's, he, he he plays, even if he ends up missing a couple of times, he's he's heavily involved, which is always fun to see. He's a pain. Like you just. You wouldn't want to defend against him. I mean, and also like <laughs> the kind of the the calmness thing. Can you imagine a worse era than this one to be like a, a what an eighty million pound centre forward in the Premier League, like with all the scrutiny that comes with, oh yeah, like you know, accounts in the Charity Shield as well. It's like you miss a chance, and all of a sudden you're, you're just worthless. And and I I don't know how I don't know how a modern player in that situation. Um, can retain any any sense of equilibrium really um so I got, I, but here he's he the only thing he's really guilty of seemingly to me is not being erling holland <laughs> which just and this weird binary relationship has kind of sprung up between them and you just think it, it's just two different players and they it yeah it's kind of one of those mm. sort of modern football issues i suppose 
Yeah, I think he's he's probably going to be become a player this season anyway. Who sort of uh, opposition fans go, oh, oh what do you make of Nunes this season? You go, well, you know, just 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 the twenty goals. <laughs> In all comments, that's probably probably what he ends up doing to be honest, because he he does look like he's uh, very good at that, even if it's taking him a couple more chances than you'd expect. But um, anyway, Seb, um, thank you so much for for coming on, and uh, as usual, giving us your your insight on Spurs and yeah, some of the I think some of the intriguing issues that all clubs and all fans are having to sort of contest with this season, and sort of double take and try and gauge just how much you can trust what you're watching uh, in terms yeah. of sort of uh, how real is is some of this. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting for us to see whenever we get back to a normal uh, Premier League season, whatever that looks like now. Um, it feels like we're constantly playing catch-up. Um, and certainly after the World Cup, I imagine the next time we speak, it's going to, we're going to be talking about even weirder Maybe stuff like that a, we see. An expanded Club World Cup or something, or, or yeah. someone will have, you know added an extra group stage to the Champions League by then or you know that'll be something there's always going to be something absolutely but, but before, before we do go I mean I mean, I, I spoke to John McKenzie uh, for for the previous um, show um, for the Leeds uh, sort of deep dive and he was talking about all, all the all the work that he's been doing uh, over at TIFO I just wanted to give you an opportunity to plug that as well before we go yeah well I mean TIFO is a, a kind of a multifaceted thing these days mm. we've got um, obviously the Illustrator channel which um most people are more familiar with, but also the work that Joe and um, JJ and John um, are doing on the IRL channel, which is kind of the the more sort of the instant post game reaction stuff. I think um, you know everyone at the company is, is extremely proud of. So that's always something to look out for, and and I'm sure that uh, either John or JJ will be on GT after this game on Sunday, and we'll have something out shortly after full time. We'll certainly look out for those on the Illustrator channel. Um, we're actually releasing. Um, uh, I suppose we'd, we'd call it kind of a, a little five-part series, which is going to be coming out in a week's time uh, on the Illustrated channel ahead of the World Cup, looking at some of the reasons why the World Cup this year is what it is, to put it one way. Um, I think people will enjoy that. Uh, it's um, piece of work that we, which we've um, done with James Montague, um, who is uh, in a field all of his own, of course, with that kind of work. Um and yeah, we hope people like it and we hope people, um, you know, hope people sort of reflect on, on the stuff that we cover within that. So that's something to look for in the, in the coming days. And then obviously, actually during, during the World Cup, we, um, I, I don't know how I'm going to find the energy to do this, but I'm going <laughs> to England and we're doing the, um, as we did for the Euros, we're doing the nightly live streams after, uh, after every game day. Um, so oh, that'll nice. be a, a combination of Joe, me, John and JJ every night whatever time it finishes but we're looking forward to that yeah They're kind of like you know with a bit of foreboding obviously because mm. it's i felt like halfway through the euros i lost my sanity i was so tired but it was it's it's good fun to spend time with the guys so i was gonna say i can recommend some yeah some good coffee subscription services if, yeah if you can yeah. meet them throughout throughout that and then uh, i think it's only going to be yeah i think there's a whole time for people to check out there and yeah it's um sending those post-match reactions and sort of tactical breakdowns of games um sort of scarily quickly that emerge after after each um oh the guys are brilliant as well like, games, I, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do what, what uh john or jj does i don't really watch football in that way mm. um but they um there's always something worth uh there's always a takeaway worth looking into um, yeah and so i'm sure there will be for this game too yeah we sometimes do i mean i'm sometimes on this uh, on these post-match raw podcasts for for the channel, uh, but yeah, that's that's very much more sort of just a you know, having more an emotional sort of um, reaction to the game, um, largely fueled fueled by vibes r- more than sort of tactical yeah. analysis. And then there's a, a tactical analysis pod that comes out about three or four days afterwards, and I frequently li- uh, frequently listen to that and go, oh yeah, I was wrong on this, 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 and. <laughs> This. Yeah, it's be- it is better just to stick to your emotional gut. <laughs> it's just uh, like you know, no, I, I was right. Like it's all, it's all just a coil. Nah. Exactly. But, but anyway, so thanks, thanks very much as um, as uh, as usual for coming. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Uh, and just before we do completely wrap up, obviously, I think we we are edging edging very close towards the World Cup now. Uh, just one more, is it? Is that correct? Yeah. Wow. Just one more uh, Premier League game for. For us to cover here on Rival Recon before we take that break for the World Cup, 
uh, and that will be um, the the game uh, at Anfield against uh, Southampton on the 12th of November. So there'll be a pod coming out uh, ahead of that. But after that, you won't hear from me. Uh, well, I'll probably do some World Cup stuff, but you won't hear from me on the Premier League until oh look at this Boxing Day. That's going to be um, it's going to be fun. Unai Emery on Boxing Day. That will be. That'll be lovely. Um, but uh, between now and then, do check out all the other great content uh, on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, and as I said, yeah, we'll be back with one more pod uh, before the World Cup um, for that game uh, against Southampton. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.